Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well. December's in full swing. Thanks for stopping by to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And I got a mouthful and then some. So get ready as I'm about to dive right into it here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 167 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. So if it's on Google, Apple, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music, or you can even go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about me, the pod, archive shows, etc. It's a Monday, December the 7th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect on this podcast is as follows. The NBA preseason begins this week. Lots going on in the association, highlighted by the big trade last week between Russell Westbrook and John Wall. I'll get into all that, how Russell will fare with the Wizards and John Wall with the Rockets. I'll get into everything going on with the Lakers as they're going to be the team to beat. Now that Anthony Davis has re-upped five for 195 on the heels of LeBron's two years for $85 million and all the offseason moves that they made. I'll even get into some college basketball as the number one team ranked in the nation, Gonzaga. They're going through a COVID outbreak where they've had to shut down their facility, stop playing games for the next week and a half. And what does that mean for not only them, but also the rest of college basketball? You'll get my two cents on that. Speaking of college, the college circuit in football was chalked this past week, but there may be a little bit of some controversy this week in regards to Ohio State and Michigan as they'll play this coming Saturday. I'll dive into that later on. I'll also get into the latest Paul brother that's going to jump into the ring for another exhibition, this time with Floyd Mayweather, and in particular, Logan Paul. This on the heels of last week's disaster between Jake Paul and Nate Robinson, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Major League Baseball, a couple of signings here, a minor trade there, nothing really big as far as what's going on in the world of the diamond as the winter meetings have begun, although virtually not in person where it should have been in Dallas, as well as my hero and zero of the week. But the NFL will start us off here on this podcast where week 13 is almost in the books. We still have three more games that need to be played before we could close the book on the first three quarters of the NFL season, where later this afternoon at Heinz Field, you'll have the Steelers hosting the Washington football team. After that, the nightcap will be Buffalo and San Francisco, but the game won't be played in the Santa Clara region. It'll actually be played in Phoenix, or I should say in Glendale, Arizona, where the Arizona Cardinals play. And then tomorrow, which should have been played on Thursday between the Dallas Cowboys and Baltimore Ravens, that'll take place tomorrow night, MNC Bank Stadium at 8.05 or 8.20, whatever the time's going to be for that game. 
So with the craziness of all these games being postponed, moved around, you don't know from one week to the next who's playing where, at what time, on what channel, etc. We are now getting into the home stretch. The final four games of the regular season of the National Football League. Where I know there's quite a few people out there that may be starting to sob because with the last few weeks of this football season, and remember, it's not going to conclude until the first Sunday in January. So we at least have the rest of the month to sink our collective teeth into this NFL season. And now this is where it gets interesting. Where we have a lot of teams in the mix for the postseason. Teams that have kind of risen from the dead to make themselves known here as we get into this final stretch. And teams that are actually are taking a little bit of a nosedive, which I'll definitely get into in a matter of moments. But as always, as we start off with the NFL segment, my winners and losers for week 13. And the first team, which I've pounded left and right, haven't beaten a good team all year. I understand they're going to beat the teams that are in front of them, whether they're the Jacksonville Jaguars of the world or the Houston Texans, teams that are beneath them, not only in the standings, but as far as talent is concerned. But the Cleveland Browns get the first win of the week. Now, the final score wasn't as close as indicated, winning 41-35 down in Tennessee. They built a 38-7 first-half lead behind the arm of Baker Mayfield throwing four touchdowns. Actually had a touchdown dropped where they had to settle for a field goal, so he actually could have had five first-half touchdowns. But Cleveland showed that they can be a dangerous team come January and maybe deep into the month. Certainly remains to be seen. This is a good time for them to get this type of win under their belt considering that the teams that they've lost to on their schedule this year were to Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Las Vegas who are also in the hunt and we'll get to them in a little bit. But with the Browns, you got to give them props. Yes, I understand they gave up 35 points and in particular 28 in the second half. But generally when you have a game like that, especially with a team that hasn't been around the culture of winning, they could take their foot off the pedal Get a little bit laxed. You kind of saw that there yesterday, but they were not in danger of losing that game despite the Titans coming back and falling short there at the end down at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. So the Browns got to give it up. They're putting themselves in excellent position to make it in the AFC, even with teams trying to jockey, whether it's the Dolphins that have certainly taken a step ahead and they're going to be my second winner of the week. Now, it wasn't a pretty game. It was less than impressive. But for a Dolphin team that is young, that is looking to take that next step, that is looking to get themselves into a postseason, this is a win that they needed in the worst way. And the reason why I say in the worst way is because their schedule gets very tricky the last four games of the season. They still have to play Las Vegas on Christmas weekend. They still have to go to Buffalo, the final game of the year. They still have New England sandwiched in between. And then they host Kansas City this coming weekend. So Miami really needed this win in a big way and put themselves at 8-4 and four in the AFC a half game behind the Buffalo Bills as I've said earlier they're going to play the Niners later on this evening to see if they could draw even as the Niners are desperate to try to get themselves in the NFC playoff mix knowing that a lot of teams have come back to the pack and they're getting that closer to the 7th seed there in the NFC and again it wasn't a pretty game chippy bunch of scuffles I know you saw Xavier Howard and Tyler Boyd both get ejected, but certainly a far cry from A.J. Green and Jalen Ramsey a few years back. To me, that was an absolute joke. But then later on, you had that hit where Mike Thomas just slammed right into Jakeem Grant after the punt, which set a frenzy with both sidelines convening at midfield. 
Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, going at some of the Bengal players. I'm sure if you're a Dolphin fan, you love the fire and passion from your head coach. And the Dolphins have a very bright future. Even if they do fall short of making the postseason this year, man, they're going to be locked, stocked, and ready to roll come next year. Because remember, they get not one, but two first-round picks from the Houston Texans with that trade a couple of years back with Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, etc., as well as their own pick. So even with this four-game stretch, which is certainly daunting for a young team, they've done big things here over the course of the last two years and really the last year and a half because they started off their 2019 season as slow and as brutal as it possibly could be, but they've turned it around. So they get my second win of the week. Now to my losers. The first one has to be the Seattle Seahawks. And I get the Giant fan out there is probably wondering, well, Jay Reels, what about the Giants being a big winner this week? You know what? As an honorable mention, they do get that. But to me, this was more about Seattle. The game was in their building. They have not been playing well. They've been very inconsistent here after that 5-0 start. And you've seen it just over the course of the last few weeks and how they performed. And yesterday was just the coup de grace because if you have a Giant team that's flying cross-country with a backup quarterback, And even though they are tied for first place going into the weekend with the Washington football team, if you're the Seahawks, led by the coach Pete Carroll and the quarterback Russell Wilson, a guy who's been in the MVP discussion all year, for you to come out of that game with 12 points, have the pressure put on you by the giant defense, and again, got to give them credit. But I'm sure there's a lot of people this morning waking up thinking whether or not Seattle's going to have any type of championship medal or a run in them come next month, and as we've seen right now, they are falling to pieces right in front of our eyes. I don't like their defense. Their defense has been Swiss cheese all year. We could go through all the games where they've given up a ton of points. And then yesterday, they have Wayne Gallman, nice player, nothing to write home about, but to gouge them 435 yards and for the Giants to pretty much take over that game in the second half where the Seattle Seahawks were only able to put up five points in that first half and then to... Get that late touchdown, but it was all for naught. To me, that is just a deplorable job by them. And again, give credit to the Giants. I'm not knocking them. I'm not saying ah, their win doesn't mean anything. It does. Because when you look at what Joe Judge and company have done, they've won four in a row, five of the last six. It looked like their season was out to sea, even as bad as the NFC East is. But here they are right now. It doesn't matter what the Washingtonians do later on against Pittsburgh, win, lose, or draw. The Giants right now have the top spot in the NFC East and are looking ahead to bigger and better things. And who would have thought? This team was 1-6. 1-6! But the other three teams in the division were left flat-footed for the most part as the Giants have now taken the ball and have run to the top of the division. Which when you think about it, it's... I don't even know who to credit. Just how bad the division is or... The Giants were finally waking up and realizing that they were in the middle of a race and now they have the top spot in the NFC East. And my other loser, simply put, the New York Jets. Now, I know there's some people out there that are cheering knowing that the Jaguars, who had a lead in Minnesota yesterday, but lost in overtime, they've now lost 11 straight games and are neck and neck with the Jets as far as the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes are concerned. But what you saw there in the final few seconds of that game against the Vegas Raiders, and I'm not going to blame the rookie cornerback Lamar Jackson. It was not his fault. 
it was Greg Williams who is going to be sent packing the second this season is done as well as the head coach he's going to be out on the rail for what he even said earlier in the week in regards to Sam Darnold admitting that he failed to develop him remember this was the guy that was the quarterback guru the offensive genius the mastermind that even Peyton Manning of all people praised and put him on a pedestal as one of the bright young coaching minds in the NFL well offensive coordinator he may be that head coach of a football team he is not and what happened there at the end of that game and even with Marcus May the safety who came out and even questioned the defensive coordinator Greg Williams and what he did as far as dialing up a cover zero to put an all-out blitz on a third and ten to leave this kid on an island with Henry Ruggs as he sped right by him for the game-winning touchdown five seconds left to go and I know if you're a Jet fan you are sick to your stomach and it's just the same old Jets but with everything that transpired with their team this year even toward the end of last year although they played well but still the Adam Gaze era has to come to an end and they need to take the defensive coordinator with them so the second loser and rightfully so are the New York Jets and now as we look throughout the league as we get into a lot what's happening with teams trying to move up trying to get themselves primed and ready for a postseason run or even to get into the postseason I should say and we talked about Cleveland and what they've done there now at 9-3 and three, their first winning season I believe since the 2007 year where they were 10-6 and six and didn't make the playoffs and are looking to make it to the postseason for the first time since 2002 also with Vegas winning that game yesterday which was huge because they have Baltimore that's right behind them nipping on their heels so they remain part of the mix there and that would have been a brutal loss for Las Vegas remember last year they played at MetLife they were 6-4 and four going into that game and they got blown out 34-3 to three. and from that point on the Raiders were never to be heard from and chances are that would have been the same fate for them this year if they would have lost that game but boy they probably ran out of the building ran to the bus and onto the plane to make sure that they weren't going to get that L which was destined to be for the Raiders and back-to-back years so looking for them they made it out alive with a victory but as we look through it all the Colts give them credit now mind you they had the break of all breaks at the end of that game second and goal from about the five where Deshaun Watson fumbles the ball they recovered it at 26-20 the Texans were about to go in for the winning score with about a minute and 30 to go Uh, that's just Houston season in a nutshell right there bottom line and you see Deshaun Watson on the sideline with his head in a towel T.Y. Hilton coming over just to give him some props but the Texans man what a rough season they've had and Indianapolis it's weird they are Jekyll and Hyde with a lot of these other teams just like Tennessee in their division as now they have tied them and we'll break down all divisions later on as we are now getting into this final stretch where we'll look at where the teams are as far as playoff picture and seedings and things of that nature but the Colts give it up to them Phillip Rivers had a very good game yesterday 260 yards, 2 TDs and the Colts from one week to the next you just never know what type of team you're going to get and right now they've matched wits with the Tennessee Titans with their loss yesterday as the two teams that are now top of the AFC South I'll cut right to the chase Justin Herbert for all of his accolades that he's received so far this rookie year and chances are he's going to win the offensive rookie of the year and rightfully so with Joe Burrow going down with the knee injury 
Yesterday, he faced Bill Belichick, and man, did he get schooled. No surprise there, 45-0. The Patriots, who I believe will be staying in Los Angeles because they have the Thursday night game against the Rams. So maybe with their 45-0 win, they could save some of those points and hopefully carry those over to the game on Thursday against a much better opponent. But the Patriots are another team that are trying to inch closer to a postseason spot. Now they're on the outside looking in. But with their win yesterday and their win against Arizona last week, they're back at 500 for the first time since earlier this year. And the Patriots, you may have to look out for them. And we'll get to that later on as far as all the playoff picture in both conferences. But the Patriots were able to blow out the Chargers and put a big giant donut next to their name in the score column. Now to stick with the Los Angeles teams, the Rams went into Arizona And Jared Goff bounced back from his pathetic performance against the Niners the week before to a 38-28 game. Threw the ball over the lot. Only had one touchdown, but was efficient. And certainly brought the confidence back that he did a couple years ago when they went to a Super Bowl. But the one thing I'm going to look at, just to take this away from the Rams for a second, are the Arizona Cardinals. And you kind of wonder, that game a few weeks back against the Buffalo Bills, the Hail Mary there at the end, Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins, you wonder if that was more of a curse than it was a blessing. Because that team was riding high, was feeling good. You figured that this is a team that maybe could make a push or maybe even win a division considering the Niners and all the injuries and everything that had happened to them early on in the season. Seattle showing some wildly inconsistent ways both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball and the Rams are hot and cold. Kind of like what I talked about with the Colts and the Titans and here were the Cardinals that were flying high soaring a team that was moving upward as far as trending in the NFC and even in the NFL for that matter and now they've come crashing back to earth here with three straight losses I don't think they're ready for prime time I think this is a good learning experience for the Cardinals right now with the young coach and the young quarterback I know when you have veterans like DeAndre Hopkins and even Larry Fitzgerald for that matter guys that who are waiting to win guys who are looking to get into a postseason to make their mark to try to get back to a Super Bowl especially with Fitzgerald when he did 11 years ago when he was a member of that 2008 Cardinal team but I know it's got to be frustrating for those who looked at the Cardinals as a team especially the three Cardinal fans that I know and that's a stretch knowing that they had so much promise after nine games and had their whole season ahead of them where they already had beaten the Niners where they already had beaten the Seahawks. Remember, they just lost to them on a Thursday night a couple weeks ago, which hurt them and certainly didn't help. And then last week, losing in New England, and then now today. If you're a Cardinal fan, you have to be shaking your head right now, and even the organization. But you know that brighter days lie ahead. Kind of like the Dolphins, although the Dolphins seem to be a couple steps ahead of them. But that's a tough loss for them at home. And the Cardinals, who are still in the playoff mix, but have taken a few steps back and may have ushered themselves out of the postseason here with this last few stretch of games. Philly and Green Bay, I'm not even going to talk about the Eagles anymore. I know that the rage is going to be about Carson Wentz. And if you're a Philly fan or just an NFL fan, if you think it's going to be that easy to cut Carson Wentz, it's not. He's on the books next year for $35 million. If you cut him, his dead money... For the cap of next year is going to be $25 million, So you're going to have to live with it for another year. Jalen Hurts, who I thought going back to the draft would be a surprise, would be a sleeper. Now for him to get thrown in there yesterday, 
did throw his first touchdown. He did throw a pick, but his numbers weren't great. And who knows if he's going to be the future there in Philadelphia after next year. But as of right now, this is an Eagle team that you just have to flush the season in the toilet and hope that they could come back next year. Now, mind you, their offensive line is Swiss cheese. That's a team that is not protected. Carson Wentz all season long. So as much as you want to put the blame on the quarterback, and rightfully so, he deserves some of that. But he doesn't deserve all of it. He was ambushed there last night against Green Bay. Green Bay pretty much had the game in control until Jalen Rager, their first round pick, had that punt return for a touchdown. But the Packers, who were pretty much in cruise control throughout, Aaron Rodgers, the fastest of 400 touchdowns in the history of the league. And the Packers continue to keep on rolling back-to-back Sunday night victories, I might add, as they beat Chicago the week before. So that's what you have with those two teams. One other thing, I mentioned Tennessee earlier. Tennessee now is going to be without Jadavian Clowney, the free agent signing that they got in the offseason to be that pass-rushing force. He's going to be out the rest of the year as he needed surgery on his left knee, his meniscus, had to get it repaired. And it's just a shame because remember, this was a number one pick overall who's had his moments in the league. And I'm not going to go as far as saying he was a bust because he's not, but he certainly did not live up to the billing. And it's just a shame because this is a guy that when his body and his mind is right, could be as dominant as any defensive player in the league. And considering he played in Houston the first part of his career alongside J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, where he could have wrecked the league. But injuries, and you want to say at times attitude, didn't rise to the occasion when he needed to. And sadly, his tenure is going to end in Tennessee just on that note. And who knows what his future is going to lie, considering he's what? About 30 years old, bad wheels, questionable attitude. And I got nothing personal against the guy. I like him. I think he can be that guy that you would just love to watch take over a game at times, especially in big moments. But who knows if it's going to be in the cards for one Jadavian Clowney after this year moving forward as far as his NFL career is concerned. I touched on Minnesota a little bit earlier. The Vikings, who were tooth and nail, getting themselves back in this game. They were down 16-6 at one point. Kirk Cousins came roaring back as he's played well here throughout this stretch. But they had the game into overtime and then Mike Glennon throws the interception there deep in Jacksonville territory. Dan Bailey kicks the game-winning field goal, 27-24. Jacksonville looks like they were going to get themselves out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, but they put themselves right back in in typical Jaguar fashion. And the one thing that bothers me, people, think about this. Before week one, I picked Indianapolis to beat Jacksonville in my knockout pool. And we all know Indianapolis didn't show up. Jacksonville just bum-rushed them and put their first win of the year on the docket. And I said to myself, geez, that's just my luck to think that Jacksonville was going to be the team that beat Indy. And I know I'm not alone. I'm sure a lot of the people picked Indy that first week knowing that Jacksonville was going to be an awful team. And although they've been competitive in some of these games and they've played hard for Doug Marone, but now they've lost 11 straight. And we know Marone's probably going to be gone. Who knows what's going to happen with Gardner Minshew. We don't think he's going to come back this year. You figure it's going to be that combination of Mike Lennon and Jake Luton. But I tell you, Jacksonville, they can't get out of their own way just as bad as the Jets. So for Minnesota, for my guys' head style and Kev the Viking fan, they live to see another day as they are right now, I believe, seventh in the NFC, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. 
Your Sunday night game last night was a little compelling to think as Denver hung in there, played very well, but weren't able to hang with the Kansas City Chiefs. And funny enough, I know the highlight there was that touchdown catch, which was called incomplete. And Andy Reid and company didn't even think to review it or to, because it would have been overturned. And that would have been one of the great catches of all time. Although it was, let's face it, a catch that Tyreek Hill probably never saw coming, even when it fell into his lap. Because they didn't argue it. They felt as if the ball probably hit the ground and just went to the sideline and that was it. But one of the highlight catches of the year was for naught. But this goes to show you that even with a very good defensive effort by the Broncos, it still wasn't enough. Because they held the Chiefs to 22 points and they pretty much had the game in control. And I'm not going to give it up for the Chief defense because I'm not sold on them in a big spot as well. And I understand you could say last year in the Super Bowl when they took the lead and they stopped Jimmy Garoppolo and company, even though Garoppolo overthrew Emmanuel Sanders, which would have been the go-ahead touchdown. But those are the breaks. That's how football plays out sometimes. But I need to see them in a big spot against a very good offense, do the job. But then the flip side is, if Kansas City's only going to put up 22 points, they'll still win the game, as you saw there last night against Denver. Two other games, New Orleans and Atlanta. What's there to talk about here? New Orleans was pretty much in control. Taysom Hill had a very good game as the Saints only top spot of the NFC, 10-2, and two, best record, number one seed right now as they dispose of the Falcons. And then the Bears, you can put them out the pasture now as they lose in just killer fashion. They had a 30-20 to 20 lead late in the game. They gave up a touchdown to the Lions. And then on their next possession... At third and long, instead of running the ball, what do they do? They go back to pass. Trubisky gets sacked. Lions recover the ball. They go in for a touchdown. And then the Bears, who are marching down the field to try to go ahead and take the lead, then they just spit the bit as the Lions win 34-30 and talk about a team that was reeling. And I never believed in the Bears, even going back to when they were 5-1. To me, they were paper tigers. And it just culminated in that finish yesterday. So we don't have to worry about them for the rest of this 2020 season. And as we look at the games later on, I'll do a brief synopsis. Washington at Pittsburgh. Washington with 11 days off. Remember, they played on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, so they haven't played since then. They're going to be well-rested, ready to go, knowing that the Giants won yesterday, so they have some gas in their tank. They have some motivation. They have a running back who could be dangerous in Antonio Gibson. Also, their defensive front four could put some pressure on the Steelers. Marquise Pouncey, the center, is not going to play today. Although the backup, uh, Hassan Howard, played very well last week in the absence of Marquise Pouncey. But now you have a situation where the Steelers come off a, not a pathetic performance, an absolute abomination of a performance. And there's no such thing as bad wins because as I say time and time again, you never throw wins back, especially in the NFL. But if there is a definition of a bad win, this was it. And I'm not going to recap that game. I'm not going to get into that because it's all for naught. It's a new week. That was, in essence, really, when you think about it, that was part of week 12, although that was in the middle of the week. But here's the thing about the Steelers that you need to know real quick. Two things. One is that they know how to win these type of games, which bodes well, not only for the rest of the season, but hopefully that translates into the postseason. And the second thing is, as bad as that performance was by the head coach, admittedly so, and the quarterback, that they know that there's room for improvement. So I think they're going to bounce back in a big way today. 
I'm not going to say that this is going to be 38-14 Pittsburgh. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're just going to steamroll them and have their most perfect game this season because we all know the Steelers have not been perfect this year. The closest for them to being perfect this year was when they beat Cleveland 38-7. And that was in early October. But because they know how to win these games, and on top of that being battle-tested, having to win a game in Dallas on the game's final play, having to win in Baltimore on the game's final play, Yes, they had to sweat out a missed field goal by Steven Goskowski in Tennessee, but they came away victorious. Even the other day against the Ravens, with a depleted quarterback situation, they found a way to win the game, this time on offense, as opposed to defense, where Minka Fitzpatrick was the hero in both of those games in Baltimore and Dallas. So they know how to win, and they know what it takes to win, which is going to be huge, and they're going to need that. I think they'll win today. Tonight, Buffalo-San Francisco is going to be interesting because San Francisco is on the outside looking in, so they want to get their record to 500, which will even them with the Vikings as far as the last playoff seed in the conference and also with Arizona. Then you also have Buffalo, who looks to stay ahead of the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East. Buffalo having to go back to that building. Now think about this, people. Just a few weeks ago, as I've said a little while ago, they were in that building with the Hail Mary. Now, mind you, of course, the team is different and the uniforms are different, but is there going to be a little PTSD when it comes to playing a Niner team who right now are looking to get a little bit more momentum into their season after their win against the Rams last week and knowing that they could draw even in the conference with their record, etc. Is that going to be enough for them to beat the Bills as they have to come back to that stadium just a few weeks ago where they lost a crusher, an absolute crusher? And then tomorrow night, you have Dallas and Baltimore, which is the game that was supposed to be played on Thursday. But obviously, with the Ravens playing on Wednesday, they had to push this game to tomorrow night. And everything's looking good in Baltimore as far as COVID cases. Lamar Jackson is going to be scheduled to start. You would think the running backs who didn't play in the game against Pittsburgh, that would be Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. They'll be a part of the mix there tomorrow night. And the Cowboys, they're just looking to try to get a win. Uh, It's going to be tough sledding. The Ravens know that they have a very easy schedule these last five games of the season. Starts off with this one tonight. They have a big one in Cleveland Monday night, so they want to keep pace with them as well as the other teams in the AFC. So a lot of playoff implications here with these games starting at 5.05 this afternoon with Washington and Pittsburgh. Tonight, Buffalo, San Francisco, and then to close out a week 13 in Baltimore where the Cowboys will play the Ravens. And when we look ahead to next week, now no buys, all the buys are, have been completed, they're all done, but there has been some news coming out of Carolina which had their bye week. The practice facility has been closed today and tomorrow due to a COVID outbreak. Don't know details as far as has it been players, coaches, a combination of both, something they'll keep an eye on to see whether or not Carolina, and it's going to be interesting because if they're going to play Teams that are in the mix as far as the playoff spot's concerned, they're going to play these games. If they're going to play a team, and we'll look at their schedule as to who they're going to play this coming week. If they're going to play, let's say, Atlanta, and for some reason, they need to push the game to Monday, Tuesday, or even Wednesday, will they do that? Or how far will they extend themselves to do that, knowing that both of these teams aren't going to make it to the postseason? That's going to be something we'll monitor here. Because as we've seen so far, the NFL is doing... It's damnness to try to get these games in. 
It doesn't matter if it's going to be 3.40 on a Wednesday, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, or if it has to be going up against the Today Show on a Thursday morning. These games are going to be played. But right now, week 14, I mentioned New England at the Rams is your Thursday night game. Not bad. I mean, not great. Nobody's going to look at this as a Super Bowl 53 rematch, but we got that to kick off our Thursday night schedule. Then Sunday, you have some good games this week. Not a bunch of stinkers that we've had in weeks past. I'll cut to the chase with the good games. Kansas City at Miami is a good game. Arizona, New York, to me right now, that's not a good game, but because the Giants and what they've done recently and Arizona trying to hang in there for a playoff spot, that's more of a C game. That's not going to be one of the highlight games of the week, but that's a game that you will pay attention to because that could be a game where your interest will be peaked a little bit. Minnesota at Tampa is a good game. Indianapolis at Vegas. Your Sunday night game is Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Your Monday night game is Baltimore at Cleveland. So you do have some games here this week that you could wrap your arms around and get a feel for not only just the playoff race, but also some interest to not look at the boring games that we've seen time and time again. And even with the boring games, I know they've been exciting. If you're going to look at, let's say, for instance, Detroit, Chicago yesterday, or even to a lesser degree, Jacksonville, Minnesota, because nobody's maybe paying attention to the Vikings, although they're on the fringe. But still, your schedule this week, Houston at Chicago, Dallas at Cincinnati, Denver at Carolina. So there's a game, as I said, if Carolina is going to have to postpone this game or they may have to reschedule this somehow, but if they get to a point where they cannot push this past, let's say, Tuesday of next week, they may have to scrap the game altogether because both of these teams are not going to make it to the postseason. So again, we'll keep our eye on that. Tennessee at Jacksonville, the Jets at Seattle, Green Bay at Detroit, Atlanta at the LA Chargers, Washington at San Francisco are your Sunday games. And let's get at it, people. The final four weeks. To me, this is where the schedule really starts to heat up. This is where we really see a little bit more separation. And as we draw closer to the end of a football season, there's just four more regular season Sundays to go. And think about this. Not only are there four more regular season Sundays to go, But you actually have eight NFL weekends. And that's it. Because after that, you'll have the wild card weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. And remember, three games Saturday, three games Sunday. So you're going to have a full slate with the extra team on board, that seventh playoff team. So you're going to have a 1, 4.30, and 8 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, that second weekend in January. Followed that by the divisional round, which you'll have Saturday and Sunday the championship round the week after that, and then a bye, perhaps, maybe, we'll see, and then the Super Bowl. So cherish it, enjoy it, because after this, even with an NBA season on the horizon, there's not going to be football for quite some time. So I hate to bring a little tear to the NFL football fans' eye, but we got to call it like we see it. That's why we have to enjoy these NFL weekends, because before you know it, the playoffs will be here, and then it'll be all said and done before you know it. Now, before I get to college football, something I haven't brought to the attention of my listeners is going back to the NFL preview. Remember my NFL over-under numbers? I hadn't brought them up in quite some time, and I figured that now that we're into the final quarter of the year, let me dust these off and recite these to you as we go down 
the six teams that I chose, the three overs and three unders, where when I started looking at the first two overs, I said, oh, geez, this is going to be a nightmare of a choice for not only for the first two picks, but how the rest of my picks are going to be. Well, it actually shaped up pretty well as I started to read them off. So my first pick was Houston at seven and a half as an over, and I'll do the overs first. Now, Houston, I mentioned they had the bad schedule to start, rough schedule. They started off 0-4, but I figured that they would turn it around. Now, who knows that their coach was going to be fired after the first half of the season, but yesterday was killer. They would have won that game. They would have put themselves, I believe, at 5-7 and seven, and in decent shape to get to 8. But right now, they got to run the table. So chances are they're not going to fulfill that request of mine early on this year. So that's going to be a loss. I picked the Cowboys at 9.5 as an over. And I know that I'm in the majority there because nobody thought that the Eagles, which would have been their closest competition in the division, would have been flying south for the winner. Nobody expected anything out of the Giants or the Washingtonians. So to me, it was going to be the Cowboys division to lose. And unfortunately, with the loss of their quarterback in what was it, week four, week five, and not getting their season untracked at three and eight, this is where they're at, or three and seven, whatever the record is right now. So two big L's that I saw right off the bat, and I said to myself, I don't even want to look at the rest of these, but it gets better. Now, even with Seattle's loss yesterday, and that was a bad one, Their over-under number was 9. And you kind of hate 9 because that's an automatic push if the Seahawks do fall on that number. But the one thing is is that with the last four games, and I haven't looked at their schedule, and I'll get to that in a second. But with the last four games, hopefully they can win 3 out of 4 to get to 10. And I could win them as an over for the season. So all is not lost yet. But now it gets better because the three unders that I picked, and maybe they were obvious, but hey, sometimes you got to go with the obvious. Jacksonville, although they killed me in the week one knockout pool, but they haven't won since, and their number was four and a half as an under, so that's a victory. Denver, seven and a half as an under. I didn't like Drew Locke as much as everybody was high on him. I had to see more. He did play well at the end of last year. Remember, he got hurt in that game against the Steelers and didn't come back until about the midway point of the season, and then the situation with COVID, with the quarterbacks. So that's been a mess. So I'm going to win that. And then the LA Chargers at 7.5 is an under with all the brutal losses they've had this year and capped off with that 45 nothing performance against the Patriots yesterday. Right now I'm looking at automatic 3-3, three and three, maybe 4-2. and two. So we'll see how that looks as we get past Week 17. And then quickly with the divisions and the Standings, your up-to-the-minute recap of the AFC and NFC will start with the Steelers, who are 11-0 right now, and their game to be played later on. Have the top spot where the Chiefs are 11-1, number two, and they've already clinched the playoff spot, so they're already in. Your third seed is the Buffalo Bills at 8-3. Titans there at 8-4. Now, if the Bills lose tonight, the Titans, they have the tiebreaker, they'll have the three seed, and then Buffalo will be the four. Followed by Cleveland is your five. Miami is your six seed. And then the Colts right now are your seven seed in the AFC. Followed by the Raiders at seven and five. And then you have the Ravens at six and five with a win tomorrow. They'll be tied with the Raiders, a game behind the Indianapolis Colts. And then New England, two games behind at six and six. And you can forget about the rest of the conference. 
as far as the NFC is concerned, we talked about the Saints being the top seed right now, 10-2, and and have already clinched a playoff spot. The Packers are at 9-3. and Now, if the Packers and Saints are tied at the end of the year with Green Bay beating New Orleans earlier this year, the Packers will have the one seed in the conference, so that's something to keep an eye on. Followed by the Rams at 8-4, and four, the Giants at 5-7, and seven, so they are your top four seeds there. Followed by the fifth seed will be the Seahawks, 8-4. and four. They'll get to 10, now that I think about it. I thought they were 7-5 and five for some reason, but they're 8-4. and four. So the Seahawks should get to 10 as far as the picks for my over-under numbers. So maybe I will get to 4-2 and two after all, but with the way the Seahawks have been, who knows. So they'll be the five seed, followed by Tampa at 7-5. and five. And then the Vikings right now currently have the seven seed due to tiebreakers over the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't know what that means if the Niners win tonight. As far as them being in that three-way tie, does that mean that San Francisco then gets a chance to leapfrog over the Vikings? Let's take a look here. Yeah, their conference record is 3-5, and five, and Minnesota's 4-4. Four and four. So Minnesota will stay put no matter what the Niners do tonight. And that's your breakdown. Forget about the rest of the NFC. I know the Bears 5-7, and seven, the Lions. I know Washington there shows 4-7, and seven, but... They're still in the mix for the division with the NFC East. And that's your up-to-the-minute breakdown of all the conferences for the National Football League as we get to close out Week 13 and into 14. And I'll segue that to the college circuit because to stick with football, nothing really much has gone on. I'm not going to get crazy about Alabama's win against LSU. I know that touchdown, that was crazy how the kid just dropped the ball there on LSU right before he crossed the goal line. I mean, that was pretty much the highlight of the game. I get that. Devontae Smith was magnificent, over 200 yards, three touchdowns, including that acrobatic catch in the end zone. Mac Jones solidifying his chance for a Heisman this year, if you want to call it a Heisman year, considering the way college football has been fragmented. But I can't get into any of these other games, you know, Ohio State or Florida. or it, To me, it was just chalk. The one game that you want to look at, though, if you're the BYU Cougars and everybody out in that region puffing their chest about them getting a shot at the national title as well as the Cincinnati Bearcats. But BYU loses to Coastal Carolina and give credit to them because they performed well. They had that final stop there similar to Super Bowl 34 at the one foot line, let alone the one yard line that tackle Mike Jones to Kevin Dyson of way back when. You had a similar situation there with BYU getting stopped right there as they were going for the victory. Obviously, in that Super Bowl, they were going to go for the tie. So BYU could say goodbye to any of their championship aspirations, and I don't think they would have made it even with a perfect record regardless, as I'll get into in a minute. But Coastal Carolina continues their magic carpet ride this year as they win at the buzzer, and I know there was also a brawl there right before the half, which caused a little bit of a stir, the interception returned, and then the player there for BYU did a Matumbo finger wag and both benches then met up at the middle of the field for a little bit of a melee nothing really to write home about but still so that was the highlight of the college football weekend if you ask me and as we look ahead to this coming weekend I know that this is Ohio State Michigan weekend certainly not going to have any type of buzz any type of hype of years past if anything Ohio State is a 30 point favorite The game is in their building. The typical 12 noon start time this coming Saturday. But there was a lot of controversy surrounding this game because 
Michigan did not play this weekend due to a COVID outbreak with the team over the past week. So their game against Maryland this past Saturday was canceled. So when you had Kirk Herbstreet on game day, and remember, he was a quarterback at Ohio State way back when. When he came out and said that they may cancel their game this week and use COVID as an excuse so the Buckeyes won't have a chance to perform in the Big Ten Championship game, which they'll obliterate Wisconsin. And they've had their own issues when it's come to COVID. But for him to say that, and then the AD of Michigan came out and railed against Herb Street. And even though there's probably some truth to that, that maybe Michigan in the back of their minds are thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't play this game and stick it to Ohio State. But you would think they're going to play this game and be sacrificial lambs to the Buckeyes as right now, they're going to be going full steam ahead to the college football playoff. Nothing else to discuss there when you look at the top four teams. Clemson winning big over the weekend. Same for Notre Dame against Syracuse. Uh, there's really nothing to discuss. But when it comes to Ohio State and Michigan, back to that. Kirk Herbstreit was probably just trying to get a rise out of the Wolverine fan, the university, etc. Now, mind you, there may be some hints of truth to that, but why would he know? Even if he had an insider, I'm sure that's nothing he would share because that would actually put him in some hot water, which it did a little bit. But Herb Street, I think, was just poking the Wolverine, using the pun there, and waking them up a little bit, which it actually did. And who knows? Will that stoke enough of a fire under Jim Harbaugh and company to maybe go out there and play for a half a quarter or one quarter against the Buckeye team that is just raring to go? and trying to get back to the Final Four for college football's playoff. And that's pretty much what you got there, college football people. And the schedule this weekend, there is nothing to write home about. And it's just sad because we know college football, even if it's a thing where, let's just say for argument's sake, Notre Dame and Clemson. Now, Clemson would have to lose in order for another team to be part of this process. And even if Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship, I don't think Florida's going to get a crack at the top four. Alabama's going to be part of that mix. Now, if Clemson loses, I could see Florida then being part of the top four. But you're going to have no drama. You're going to have nothing really to hang your hat on when it comes to who are the top four teams. I know this is all in hindsight, people. So I'm not going to break any news when it comes to this. Because of the way this year has been with COVID, that they should have expanded the playoff to eight teams. There was going to be no guarantee that even if you tried to do that and with teams not playing full seasons and teams having to take games off or having to postpone games as it is, it still would have been dicey to get these top teams, whether it's the top eight or if you want to say the top six where the top two teams would have had a buy or however you want to cut it. Not to say it wouldn't have worked, but again, you're still running the risk of having certain teams not fulfill the amount of games because they started their seasons late. If you're in the Pac-12 or even in this case with Ohio State, maybe not even playing in a Big Ten championship and how that may factor in to the big picture for the playoff is concerned. So all these moving parts, it just would have been rough for college football to expand the playoff. But I do agree that they need to do this moving forward at some point. Not to say next year, hopefully the year after that, because what are you going to have? You're going to have these same four teams at the top every year And it's going to be boring. It's like baseball many moons ago where you're going to see the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs. You're going to see all the top teams year in and year out because they have the highest payroll. 
where these college teams, we know they're football factories. They're always going to be in the mix to play in this playoff. So we'll see how that unfolds in the weeks to come. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of turbulence when it comes to these conference championship games and maybe a team will sneak up in there, but I think it's going to be chalk all the way around. So, All right, now let's turn our attention to the association. That would be of the NBA. And you had the big trade last week where Russell Westbrook goes from Houston to Washington. John Wall goes to Houston from Washington. Also number one pick protected, I believe, in 2023 off the top of my head. And in a nutshell... Westbrook will probably do wonders in Washington. I'm sure they'll make some headway there as far as being in the bottom rung of the Eastern Conference playoff mix. I'm sure that he'll be reunited with Scott Brooks, his one-time coach back in his days of Oklahoma City. Who knows if that marriage is going to be just as good as it was the first time around, a la James Harden, Russell Westbrook in Houston. But this is a trade that was feasible only because of the contracts. We all know they make a ton of money. It matched up well. John Wall has been renewed in Houston. He's looking to bounce back and put his fingerprints all over this organization and try to get themselves back into the Western Conference as being a team to be reckoned with. And he said all the right things. Russell Westbrook has said all the right things to this point. Listen, those teams aren't going to be anywhere near championship aspirations. They'll have their moments, I'm sure. People will say, wow, look at the Wizards or look at the Rockets doing it without... Eh. And speaking of the Rockets, who am I to be the morality police? And again, I could care less, but let's call it as we see it. For James Harden to be at a party for Little Baby, the rapper in Atlanta, I think it was his birthday, and then for him to be photographed unmasked, just days prior to the start of training camp and an exhibition NBA season, which begins on Thursday. Uh, what are you doing? So he's on the COVID list to where he can't report, I believe, for another four or five days because of what took place. I don't know if this was Saturday night, Friday. I, I could care less. But that is just a bad optic all around. I don't care if he was in a VIP room all by himself. You still cannot go out there knowing that you have to report to work in less than a week, knowing that there's a 158-page COVID protocol, all the guidelines, etc. cetera. Uh, what is he thinking? And listen, I don't want to pick on James Harden because Lord knows I picked on him this podcast. You can go back to my second ever podcast. I've been picking on him. But that's just not a good look, my guy, if you ask me, so... But as we get into this NBA exhibition or preseason or training camp or whatever you want to call it, the Lakers right now are primed to win another championship. You almost want to say, forget about playing the 72 games in the postseason because with LeBron James coming back two years at $85 million and then Anthony Davis, where at this time last week, we need to put an APB out for him because there were no news, nothing on the docket as far as him re-signing with the Lakers, it's no surprise. He did so at five for $195 million. And with all the other offseason moves that they made, Montrez Harrell, Marcus Saul, Dennis Schrader, the team is better than last year. So should we even tip the ball off and have an NBA season? We should just hand over trophy number 18, <clears throat> or in this case, 13, because they've 
would win 13 titles out in LA. But the Lakers are going to be primed and ready to make another long postseason run. And who knows, the team that could possibly upset them right across the way in the LA Clippers, they are staying mum and quiet this camp because of the embarrassment that they've experienced in the bubble against the Denver Nuggets. Nobody has said much in Clipper camp. And mind you, there's been some turnover there. New coach, Tyron Lue. Not Doc Rivers, as we all know, is in Philadelphia. So we know it's best for them to just kind of lay low and not say much, even though Patrick Beverly has used that as motivation, as fuel, saying that the team is pissed off based on what took place in the bubble at the end of that series. And we're having that attitude and that mindset coming into this year that we're not taking any prisoners. Well, hey, let's hope that translates not only from December through April, but May, June, and into July to get deep and hopefully to an NBA final to upend the current NBA champion. No minutes restriction for Zion Williamson heading into the season as per Stan Van Gundy and Zion Williamson himself as he was quoted. So that's good news if you're the NBA. And also no drug testing for marijuana this season, which fine by me. I'm not going to stress that. In fact, I'm sure the players are welcoming it. Considering the travel, the pain, the bodies, the abuse that they take running up and down the court. And people say, ah, Jay Reels, come on. So, uh, you know, it's weed. They shouldn't be doing that. Well, you know, listen, if they're doing anything higher than that from a recreational standpoint, then that's a whole other set of encyclopedias. But if it's weed, they're going to smoke. And listen, as long as they're not smoking it five minutes before game time. I mean, it has to be some restrictions, but who knows? Maybe with some players, them being high, they play better. I don't know, but I, I'd rather not see that. But... It, Once the clock strikes all zeros and they're out of the locker room, whatever they want to do, I could care less. Let them puff all they want. So that's what your NBA. And then as far as the college hardwood is concerned, we have a quandary now with the number one team in the country where the Gonzaga Bulldogs are going through their own COVID outbreak. A player had tested positive. Another member of their traveling party. So they're not going to play their next three games. Mind you, they missed one of their games over the weekend on Saturday, which would have been against number two Baylor. So talk about an early season test between number one and number two. Went by the wayside. Who knows if they're going to make that up? We'll wait and see about that. But that's the one good thing about college basketball. And I don't know what the rules are. Mind you, these are college kids, so they probably can't play back-to-backs. Who knows what the travel is going to be like? But you would think that if they play anywhere between three to four games a week, chances are it's more three. Sometimes you get that game on a Sunday and then they play a Tuesday. Or if they play Saturday, it's Monday. And then they may play Thursday and then into the weekend. But I'm sure because of COVID, they'll spread these games out. They'll make sure to try to squeeze these games at some point down the line. They have to. And I know once they get into January and into conference competition, it may be a little bit trickier because depending on what region they're in, whether they have to fly from the Midwest out West or East to the Southwest or whatever. Because remember, when you're not in conference competition where it's Big East, you're only going to play within that region and obviously the Big 12 and the ACC, et cetera, where with these games early on and having to make up these games, who knows if there's going to be a meeting point where they're not going to host a game in their building where they may just meet Let's say if, I'm just throwing an example, 
if St. John's were to play USC in the next week and somebody from USC comes down with COVID, but they have to play these games, are they going to scrap it all together? Or will they say, hey, let's meet at this remote place in the middle of America and we'll play the game? But that's the good thing about college basketball because they have that flexibility. And not only that, if a team has 30 games on the schedule and they end up playing 25, if their record is good and their strength of schedule, their opponents, whatever, they'll make it into the tournament. I'm sure there's going to be a minimum of how many games that are going to be played. I don't have all that in front of me right now. And of course, it's too early in this college basketball season to kind of determine that. But once we get into especially January and definitely into February where college basketball will not necessarily stand alone in the sports world, but there'll be a lot more attention paid to it because then everybody's going to focus their attention on March and March Madness and the tournament since we didn't have one this year. So just something to keep in mind, something to keep yourself abreast of, maybe not right now, but because these games are going to be canceled, especially with your number one team in the country, if they are going to be made up, I'm sure they're going to do their best to reschedule and play these games but again unlike college football where you have to pretty much go week by week you can't extend these games college basketball you could do so but it's just a matter on a when they can play also b what are the rules and regulations by the NCAA as far as travel making up these games etc I would think they're going to try to get in these games as much as they possibly can to set themselves up for a tournament in March and one last thing How about the Kentucky Wildcats? What in the hell is going on down there in Lexington? Because the Wildcats have now lost three straight games. They lost back-to-back games to non-conference, non-ranked teams and are reeling just four games into the season to the tune of a 1-3 record where they have not experienced that since the 2000-2001 season. Now, I haven't been on top of the recruits. We know Kentucky is always going to be at the top with Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, as far as getting those top recruits throughout the nation. But boy, have they gotten off to a horrific start. And they've just been losing these games badly. And this team has not been as strong over the last couple of years. It hasn't been that Kentucky powerhouse type team that we haven't seen since the the De'Aaron Fox team that went to a regional final and lost to North Carolina. Obviously, prior to that, he had the... John Wall, Boogie Cousins teams, the championship team with Michael K. Gilchrist, Anthony Davis, and then he had that phenomenal team that went 38-0 until they lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four. So since then, they have done absolutely, for Kentucky standards, nothing. All right, you will give you 2017, that run there with the Aaron Fox and company, but these last few years, Kentucky, although they've been formidable, but they haven't been the almighty Kentucky. And you kind of wonder if this is going to be one of those type of years for John Calipari and company. We'll continue to keep that on our radar as we move forward here with this college basketball season. And also give it up for Rick Pitino. He wins his first college game in three years at Iona, right up the street here pretty much from where I live, beating Hofstra. We all know his journey throughout college basketball, all-time great. We get the scandal there with Louisville and everything that happened and transpired with the Cardinals at that time. But here he is at Iona, right here in New Rochelle, as he gets his first win under his belt as the coach of the Gales. Now let's wrap up with a few quickies here. I'll start off with Major League Baseball. As expected, it's been very quiet here this offseason. We got some news coming out of Philadelphia in the last couple of days where 
It was reported or rumored that Zach Wheeler, who they signed to a five-year, $118 million deal last offseason, was to be on the trading block to where the managing general partner, John Middleton, came out and said that he wouldn't trade him for Babe Ruth. Now, I get that. Understood. He loves Zach Wheeler. He doesn't want to trade him. They've lost $140 million this year alone. They still have to pay Bryce Harper the amount of money they have over the course of the next 11 years and on top of trying to re-sign either Didi Gregorius or JT Real Muto. But if Babe Ruth were to be reincarnated right now for Zach Wheeler, I'm sure he and the 29 other GMs would think he's off his rocker for not doing that. So let me just put that out there. But the one big name who is a free agent is former Cub Kyle Schwarber to the point where Jed Hoyer, who is now the GM or baseball operations VP of the Chicago Cubs, where he came out and said that he is a legendary Cub. A little strong there with that comment. I understand he did a lot of big things with the Cubs, won them a World Series back in 2016, even though he didn't play most of that year, if you remember. But Schwarber, who I like, and I know the Yankee fans probably salivating to see how he could get Schwarber on their team. But who knows if that's going to be a good fit, despite the Yankees needing a left-handed bat in the worst way. And Kyle Schwarber, in his sleep, will hit 40 home runs in that ballpark. But when you have Giancarlo Stanton, who has seven more years left at $210 million, who is going to be your DH, and even though you still may need a left fielder, despite them having Clint Frazier on the roster to play left field, will the Yankees be daring enough to pay Schwarber? They're not going to pay him a long-term deal. But will they entice him with a one-year, $8 million deal? And then maybe play for his contract after that? It's highly unlikely. Because how I look at it is, is that there's no way that the Yankees are going to look to invest in a guy unless he's going to come into cheap long-term for him to be on that team knowing that there's going to be Armageddon at the end of that next year with the CBA. Second thing I want to get into is the NHL. As they're looking to start their season in mid-January, looks like it may be a 52 or 56 game season. Similar to the 1995 season, the lockout where they played 48 games, but they want to try to extend that a little bit more. Also, Gary Bettman talking about them not renegotiating the CBA, saying that that's not the case, that they want to be able to keep the percentages where they're at right now as far as escrow and deferred payments for the players throughout the league. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it was 10%. The owners were looking to increase that to 20% as far as deferred payment goes and then the escrow from 20 to 25 they're not trying to do that they want to get a season off on the right foot they may even include outdoor games from what i read where in la and in boston in particular depending on what the local officials are going to do as far as what covid and the guidelines in those particular states cities towns etc where the bruins could play in fenway park and the la kings could play where the la Galaxy plays, that's where the Chargers played the last few years before moving to SoFi Stadium. So you have those two things that they're going to look at here. But the NHL, they're going to do whatever it takes. They want to have that relationship, Bettman and the players, similar to Adam Silver and his players in the NBA, to get the season underway. Because the last thing that he's looking at right now is a work stoppage. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. And then you also have to factor in, speaking of Los Angeles, if they're not going to get to play their games in that stadium or even the San Jose Sharks, because remember, 
the local officials in Santa Clara, as we've talked about earlier with the Niners having to play their home games in Arizona because there are no contact sport activities to be taking place there over the next three weeks. And even though the NHL season is not going to start until mid-January, but who knows? Things aren't getting better in this country when it comes to coronavirus. And California right now, it's pretty much locked down from northern to southern Cal. Obviously, this is going to be something to keep an eye on, something to watch, because the NHL, just like the NBA and all the other sports, they're going to do whatever it takes to not only get these games in, hopefully try to maybe get some fans in the building, and this is why the possible experiment of having games outdoors. Now, of course, they can't have every game played in the outdoors. It's going to be too cold. I could see them maybe on a weekend where Saturday or Sunday afternoon they could maybe have games being played, whether in New York, if you're going to use Yankee Stadium, even City Field for the Mets. Also, with other cities, we talked about Fenway, LA, we mentioned them playing in that soccer stadium. Same for wherever, Detroit, just name the city, name the stadium. They could go ahead and play in the outdoors, but that's only going to work for so long because it's not as if they could get gates in there. If you have a homestand of four or five games, are you going to sell tickets for five home games that are all going to be played outdoors let's say, in Chicago come late January or early February. Same for Detroit. Same for Toronto. Now, Canada has their own issues because remember, we know there are no travel between U.S. and Canada. When you look at the Raptors, obviously the Blue Jays when it came to baseball, there's also talk about the seven Canadian teams having their own division, which would be tricky in its own right because that means Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, they got to go west to play the Edmontons, the Calgarys, the Winnipegs, and the Vancouvers of the world. So, a lot of loopholes, a lot of obstacles for Gary Bettman and company. Certainly do not, by any means, am envious of the task that lies ahead with not only trying to get this season underway between the players and owners, but also the schedule, the demands of COVID, protocols, etc. It is going to be a Rubik's Cube to try to figure this whole thing out. And, of course, we will keep you posted along the way. And then finally, in light of what took place last week in the ring between Jake Paul and Nate Robinson, now Floyd Mayweather is promoting on his Instagram page of an exhibition bout between himself and Logan Paul, the brother of the aforementioned Jake. And who knows what this is going to be about, if this is for charity. We all know that this is going to be an exhibition similar to what we saw there last weekend. But if anybody is willing to watch that fight right now, and here it is, December 7th, I'm putting it out there as a declaration to anyone that's listening. If anybody's looking to invest this fight via pay-per-view, just Venmo or Zelmi, PayPal, whatever you want to call, the $24.99, and I promise you, it will be put to better use. Because I don't care if you're the biggest Money Mayweather fan or if you're the biggest Logan Paul fan to walk the face of the earth, You cannot be geeked up for some four or five round exhibition bout between a one-time great fighter and somebody who's trying to be up and coming of some rank in some boxing or MMA or who knows. I couldn't tell you. To me, that is a complete waste of time. And like I said, I'll put that money to better use. In fact, I'll even show you the receipts. Follow me on any of my social media accounts. I'll put whatever you want on that fight. And again, it's $24.99. I think after the first million buys, it's going to be an upwards of $64.99. But you know what? You could spare yourself that. 
and just send it over to me, Venmo or Zelle. I'll give you the email address, etc. Give me a heads up beforehand. And trust me, it will be put to better use and it'll be all dedicated to this podcast. I won't put a dime towards anything that has to do with my utilities, even food, none of that. Anything that you would contribute would be towards this podcast. And like I said, I'll have the receipts to prove it. So just giving you a little bit of a warning, a little heads up there. If you're tempted, if you're interested, or even if you just want to say, yeah, you know what? Jake Paul showed some skills. What does Logan Paul have? Let me plunk down $24.99. Uh-uh. Send it this way, and I'll be sure to put good use to it. And lastly, unboxing. I know Errol Spence Jr. beat Danny Garcia the other night unanimously. Uh, I don't know what belt it was. I know you're going to say, Jay Reels, come on. You got to be on top of this. Uh, who's on top of boxing this day and age? Sadly, the sport has just fizzled down to scraps. And I get that there's been some good fighters of late. And there has been some matches that you could pay attention to. But when you come from the heyday, especially in the 80s and in the 90s, not only just with the heavyweights, but with the lightweights, the welterweights, you name it, it is not a shell of its old self. It is literally rubble, remnants, and a carnage of its old self. So I can't get into it. And that's not to knock Errol Spence. That's not to knock any of the other fighters that are out there trying to make a name for themselves. And that's not even to say that the sport is flatlined. All I'm saying is that in comparison to what I once watched and to experience what a fight night was like, it pales in comparison. And people could say, oh, there goes Jay Reels again. He's on his lawn to get, you know, the old man, get off of it. Things were better many years ago. Get with the time, so on and so forth. I don't need to tell you what the hype was like. Just go on YouTube and watch those fights. These fights couldn't even draw flies in comparison to those fights of yesteryear. And that's a fact. Now let me get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, listen, I went long and far to try to find one for this week. And I'm going to give it to Darren Ravel. He is the interim coach for the Detroit Lions, getting his first win. And it was in dramatic fashion. I explained it earlier, how the Lions came back there in the final minutes to beat the Bears on the road at that Something that Mac Patricia couldn't really do as coach of the Lions when he was there right before Thanksgiving, or right after, I should say. So kudos to him for getting his first win as an interim coach. And like I said, in the way that they came back and won, granted that they were on their way to losing another game in a lost season, but still, again, it was one of those things I had to look long and hard to find a good hero of the week. So Darren Ravel, you are it. And as far as my zero of the week, and this is the polar opposite, this is a layup if you ask me is Emmanuel Duran, the senior defensive lineman from Edinburgh High School. He in Texas, after getting ejected for slamming a referee into the turf. Now, he was ejected from the game as it was. So then to add insult to injury, he runs over. And if you haven't seen the video already, I don't know where you've been the last few days because this happened on Thursday night. But he literally just rammed into him like a truck. The referee went flying, landed on the turf. Thankfully, he was okay. I believe he was concussed, but it certainly could have been a lot worse. Could have broken his back. Who knows? The kid is is a monster kid. He's a defensive lineman. He was also put in jail for the evening. And then on top of that, to make matters worse, they were disqualified from the postseason from making the playoffs or any type of state championship or to make any type of run because of his actions. And rightfully so, because that was as despicable and as inexplicable as it could possibly get. So I get it may be harsh, I get you say, Jay Reels, come on. Obviously, you're going to suspend the player. You can't 
look at the whole team and suspend them as well. Well, here's the thing. It's a high school sport. They're trying to set an example. They were going to land down the harshest penalty possible because just in case if any other kid in any other state had thought about taking a run at the ref or a shot at him or whatever it may be, well, here are the consequences. So for that, my friends, he is my zero of the week. So that'll do it. Episode 167 in the books. As always, people, I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to what it is I have to say about the world of sports. I really do. Taking a chance on this young, independent artist like myself who produces, writes, edits, and obviously hosts this podcast on a weekly basis. And me being a one-man operation, doing this all by myself, has its challenges. As you know, trying to get guests on here as a guy that nobody, Jay Reels, who is this guy? And Lord knows, I've been trying to get anybody and everybody, whether that person is a former athlete or current athlete, even a broadcaster, studio host, blogger, sports writer, etc. And the reason why I want to take this to newer heights is because I want this to be your one-stop shop for everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that being said, if I can ask you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox FM, Player FM, Amazon Music, or you can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about me, the background of the podcast, why I got into it, etc. Because it's going to increase the visibility of this podcast. The more you contribute with the subscriptions, with the posts, the comments, etc., the reviews, so in turn, I could get the aforementioned athletes, the studio hosts, etc., to be a part of this podcast so they could share their experience with me so I could pass that along to you. That is my whole purpose in doing this podcast, people. It's not about trying to be the most famous guy. It's not about, hey, I want to shine and be that flavor of the month. I'm in this for the long haul. This is my passion. This is what I've been doing since birth, people. And all you got to do is go to the website and you can see for yourself on the stuff that I've done over the years. And now this is my platform for me to take this to newer heights So with your help, if you could do that, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it. If you want to send me a question, comment with some criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so on any of my social media accounts. You could follow me on Instagram at jreels or the jreels podcast, which is strictly sports and of course about the podcast. On Twitter at jreels1, just a number. On Facebook, the jreels podcast. Also, if you want to send me an email the old-fashioned way, you could do so at the jreels podcast at gmail.com. Please submit whatever it is that's on your mind. I'll be open to whatever it is that you have to say. Again, constructive criticism, some praise, whatever is on your mind, please pass it along and I'll be sure to follow up with you. And then lastly, I know I made the comment about the Logan Paul Money Mayweather $24.99 pay-per-view. But if you want to go to my Patreon account, which is an account that's strictly to contribute for this endeavor, for the things that I do behind the scenes, whether it's the work on the website also to try to increase my equipment uptake, maintenance, also some possible marketing, advertising stuff that I'm looking to forge ahead and promote in 2021, you could do so at www.patreon, that's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to contribute, I would immensely, greatly, sincerely appreciate it. You name it. Whatever superlative, whatever adjective you want to use, it would be from the bottom of my heart. I would totally be appreciative of that. Because whether you do or do not know, as I said a minute ago, I love sports. It's been in my blood since birth. 
I love talking about it no matter what. Opinions, hot takes, analysis to entertain and inform you all on everything that's going on. The diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.